This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Teachers Well. Teachers Well empowers educators with the skills and resources to lead school wellbeing initiatives that are responsive to the wellbeing and learning needs of all students. One of the resources Teachers Well offers is the Compass Journal, which is designed to support the wellbeing of teachers throughout the school year. The Teachers Well Compass puts weekly strengths-based reflective prompts and a series of systems-aware collaborative tools in your hands that you can put directly into practice. And the best thing, the Compass is date-free, meaning you can pick it up and use it at any time during the school week or the school year. You can purchase a Compass by visiting teacherswell.com. We want to thank Teachers Well for sponsoring this episode. Their founders are a pretty cool team. I'm Megan Corcoran and I'm the director of the Wagtail Institute. I started this podcast as I realised that some of the biggest learning occurs when I meet great people, listen to their stories and dive into great conversation with them. We cover the topics of trauma, healing, education, well-being, and everything in between. In this episode, Graham Baird and I come together for a second time to respond to the Senate inquiry on disruptive behaviour in Australian schools. Together, we unpack the different approaches used in schools and various settings. One we refer to as behaviourism, a more traditional approach, and the other being the trauma-informed approach. We would love to generate more conversation around this topic. So if you have a comment or question, please find us on LinkedIn and join the conversation. All right. Welcome to the 23rd episode of the Wagtails podcast. For this episode, I've actually got a guest who has joined me previously. He was actually on the third episode of the podcast. So interesting. It's been a whole 20 episodes and I've invited him back in. So welcome back, Graham. Megan, it's great to be here. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me again. This podcast is going to be a little bit different to what you may have heard on the Wagtails so far. In this podcast, we're actually going to have more of a conversation and a discussion. Um, And we're basically, we've come together today to respond to the Senate inquiry about student behaviour in Australian schools. Uh, So it's a very interesting time and Graham and I are both very passionate about the topic of behaviour, really. I I think it's safe to say that, isn't it, Graham? Absolutely, yes. (laughs) Yeah, so for both of us, we've probably worked with a lot of dysregulated behaviour worked with young people that have been kicked out of schools due to behaviour. But really what we want to talk about is behaviour as a general concept and that whole idea of disruptive behaviour that the Senate inquiry is really looking at as well. Good. good. Yeah. Um, So I guess where to start? It's a big topic. (laughs) Yeah. My suggestion, Megan, is to set out in broad terms the two approaches that are on the surface are quite different yeah so one to one would we will call the behavioral approach yeah okay and the other one is the trauma-informed one yeah and so perhaps it's a good idea for us for you and i and your listeners to be on the same page about what each means the strengths and, and weaknesses and how they complement or don't complement each other yeah and i think it's an interesting place to start too because if i think about schools that i've worked with mm. teachers that i've met Um, often there's a bit of a confusion around which approach to take, what Mm. strategies. They may have sat in a workshop about one, but then a workshop about another. Yeah. Um, And there may not be a clear idea of them, for them, what practice they want to use as well. Yeah. So great, great place to start. Um, Well, I guess for me, I'm super passionate (laughs) about the trauma-informed side of things, which is no surprise, I'm sure, um, given the work that I've done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And there's so many reasons why I love that approach, I think. And One thing that I want to clear up that's probably a bit of a myth that people might think when they hear about trauma-informed practice 
um, is that it's only for kids who've had significant trauma and that I would only apply it to that kid in my class and not to the whole cohort of young people that I'm working with. Um, and that is a huge myth. And the reason I wanted to raise that one initially is because that's probably a reaction people people have when they hear the language, I think, of trauma. Um, have you noticed that at all, Graeme, in the work you're doing? Yes. I think one of the definitional problems that we have in the field is defining what trauma is. Yeah, absolutely. And because I think the the definition seems to have been extended, expanded quite significantly in, say, the last seven or eight years. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. I'm noticing um, often when we're looking at this, we're, we look more heavily now at just adverse childhood experiences. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be highly significant um, traumatic events, mm-hmm. but it could be things that we refer to as uh, adverse childhood experiences, which is often referred to as ACEs. Yes. Um, and what the research actually shows in Australia is that 72% of young people under 18 have had adverse childhood experiences. Um, and when we're talking about those, we're looking at things like bullying, uh, divorce, um, maybe maybe um, witnessing violence, things like that. So it doesn't have to be... Um, neglect significant abuse from a carer, things like that. But it can just be those adverse experiences that create a bit of temporary stress for a young person. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that's where it gets interesting. So if you reference the Senate inquiry that you mentioned at the beginning of our discussion. Yeah. Okay. So they're, one of the issues they're talking about is um, uh, it, it, there's a lot of disruptive behaviour in the classrooms. Yes. So following on from what you've just said, okay, if 70% of young people have experienced adverse childhood experiences, yep. is that the causal link to the disruptive behaviour in the classrooms? Such a great question. I was thinking about this this morning before uh, we came together as well. Um, because I like to, I, I do a lot of work with people around behavior. Mm. Um, I like to focus on different ways of looking at behavior. So I like to think about behavior being one as communication. So every time we behave in a certain way, we're trying to communicate something. Um, another thing is that we might behave in ways that protect us. So we might be feeling unsafe and we need to protect us. Other times we might be behaving where we're trying to receive connection. And so we might be trying to, people call them attention seekers. Um, but I like to think about the fact that they may just be looking for connection. Um, So if we look at it through those ways, if they're behaving in a way where they feel unsafe and they're trying to seek protection, there may be trauma there. There may be something about adverse experiences and they're not feeling very safe. If we look at the connection piece, we may be looking at those kids who are speaking out in class, being really disruptive, avoiding their work because they may just want some time with the teacher or they may want their peers to notice them. Or they may be avoiding the work because it's actually really stressful for them to show that they're not quite at level uh, with the work that the teacher's asking them to do as well. And that's that's a pretty vulnerable situation to be in. If I can't read and write and I'm sitting in a year nine class and you're wanting me to read and write in front of my peers, I might start mucking up. Yeah. And I guess what you're suggesting there is that the uh, that it's trauma that has contributed to the fact that you can't read and write. I would be very careful in saying that it's a potential cause, but it's definitely not the only one. But I would be suggesting that we take a trauma-informed approach to how we respond to a young person not being able to read and write in our classroom and recognise that it is stressful for them in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess if you look at the different approaches between the trauma-informed, okay, and the behavioural side, so the one difference is, is that the trauma-informed people believe that exactly what you just said, that if we call it disruptive behaviour... It, is a, it has meaning, mm-hmm. it's communicating, I'm not having my needs met. Yeah. Okay? And that's a very important pillar of the uh, trauma-informed model. 
Absolutely. Yeah, now, I want to dive into that one a little bit deeper, actually, before you go on, if that's all right. Okay, yeah. Because <laughs> I think as a teacher, if you are observing some behavior that is what we'll call disruptive behavior, yeah. the first thing that I recommend people to do is to consider which needs aren't being met. Can I identify that there's potentially needs that aren't being met? Yes. And that might be physical needs. Like the young person might actually feel really dysregulated in their body. Maybe you've asked them to sit down for 45 mm. minutes and really... If you're looking at children and young people, mm. maybe they just need to get up and run around for a few minutes yeah. and come back and try again. Yeah. Um, it might be social needs. So they may have just actually come back in from recess. Their peers have bullied them. They've had a fallout with their best friends. They've come in and they're, they're not sure how to solve it. Could you spend a couple of minutes with them hearing about it? Solve it. Yeah. Or even just observe it and let them know how I noticed that. I noticed mm. you came in. You're not sitting with your friends. I'm just going to instruct the class. Then we can have a chat in the hall. Like just observing it and identifying, hey, I've noticed it. Yeah. I'm ready to help you. There's also emotional needs. Um, there's also spiritual needs. Like there's, there's all different ways we could be looking at it. And the more we know our young people, the more we can start to observe which needs may not be met in that moment. Mm. Or we can always ask them as well. Yeah. And so, it's, so to contrast that in terms of the behavioural approach. So the behavioralist would argue that in the sense behavior is shaped by its consequences. Mm. Uh, and or alternatively, the young person hasn't learned the right way to behave. Right? Mm -hmm. And so therefore, what we've got to do is teach the right behavior. Now, if you go to the Senate inquiry, yep. the, this behavioral theme, I believe, I could be wrong here, yeah, yeah. runs through it very strongly. Yep. And in fact, I believe that it reflects the work of a guy called Tom Bennett, mm. who's from the UK, and he's sometimes uh, labelled, uh, um, in a pejorative sense, I believe, as the behaviours are. All right. <laughs> yeah. And so you see, this idea is in the sense that he believes that, in the sense, for whatever reason, they haven't learnt the behaviours that is necessary to be successful in the classroom. Therefore, it's incumbent on us as the teachers to teach them those behaviours. Yep. All right. So on your side of the equation, the trauma-informed side, is that it's tr it's caused by trauma, okay? Mm -hmm. And therefore, if we talk to them in a considerate, empathetic fashion, we will get to the cause of it. And once we resolve that, the behaviour will resolve itself. So they're quite different in their approach. Well, it's an interesting one. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, they are different in their approach, but I always, always talk about ne the need to teach behaviour. Because yeah. do the behaviourists look at... Uh, why the young person hasn't learned how to behave in a classroom. Like, what's the cause of that? Why Why have they come to the classroom without those skills yet? Yes, and you see, I, again, there are different assumptions here, and it really is interesting. And it's probably one that we won't resolve categorically today. <laughs> but in the sense, so the behaviourists would acknowledge the trauma, but they also believe that for a variety of reasons, okay, that young person hasn't been taught the behaviours at home yeah. in the growing up. Now, you might argue that's a trauma, uh, a result of trauma, but it may not be. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, you might have a young person whose father is particularly antisocial. Yeah. All right. So, in the sense, the message that your child, that teenager is getting from their father is don't take any crap from the teachers. They tell you to do something. You say no. You don't have to do what they do. It's okay to steal. It's okay to pick on people. So th th there are different ways of explaining that behaviour. Yeah. So the behaviourists tend to be go wider, in my view, than the trauma. Trauma people see trauma as the beginning of everything. Mm, yeah. mm -hmm. It's an interesting one because when I also look at the need to teach behaviour, yeah. I don't just look at it as a need to teach these ways to conform in a classroom. 
but to go a bit deeper in, than that and teach why we need to behave around people and the, the motivation around why we want to actually behave around our peers is really important. Yes. So what I'm kind of concerned about sometimes, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the behaviourist is, is more about like conforming in the classroom and potentially behaving because of the potential consequences of not behaving. Yes. Whereas I think maybe my softer trauma lens yes. <laughs> would be more around, well, why would you want to behave around your peers? What, what would you gain yeah. by actually regulating yourself, um, sitting down and, and learning with me for a few minutes? Yeah, and I think that's, you know, you've touched on the, the I think, the key criticism of the behavioural approach, approach that you see a lot by social media influencers. And what they're saying is that this behavioural approach is punishment orientated mm -hmm. and punishment doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, I would agree with that in the yeah. sense, well, I don't agree the behavioural approach is punishment orientated. Yeah. But I do agree that punishment rarely works. Yeah. Yeah. But there is one good example where punishment does work. And Ooh. that's with road toll mm -hmm. uh, um, and with regard to drink driving and uh, speeding. Mm -hmm. If we took away the uh, booze buses and the speed cameras, I would suggest to you and your listeners that the road toll would start to creep upwards fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. right? But the dilemma is that as soon as you, and that's the problem with punishment, as soon as you take it away, people, their behaviour has changed. They go back to their old behaviour. But it's important, I think, to recognise here, Megan, is that the origins of behavioural approaches in the 50s and 60s came as an antidote to two things. One was Freudian psychology, but the other one was the child-rearing adage of spare the rod, spoil the child. So the behaviourists were opposed, vehemently opposed, to that approach because mm -hmm. it's a punishment approach. Mm -hmm. They believed that the better results could be obtained by what I will call the four pillars of the behavioural approach, okay? And not that these, and I believe these are, in, uh, are part of the trauma-informed uh, package at any rate, but let's come back to that. First is positive reinforcement, mm -hmm. okay? The second one is when to ignore negative behaviour, yep. okay? And the, thir the third one is uh, when to distract. Yep. And the fourth one and the most important one is modelling and prompting appropriate behavior yeah yeah so they were so it wasn't punishment that underpinned it it was those four pillars mm -hmm. okay that underpinned the behavioral approach yep so it's a, yeah so they wouldn't if if it's a punishment orientated system then they're not doing behavioral approach as well they're doing well, this a terrible is the interesting thing I'm, i kind of think in both realms that schools have lost their way a little bit. Yes, <laughs> that's I've, what the Senate inquiry is saying. Yeah, yeah. And because I think if what you're talking about is um, they're the strategies almost, like those pillars would be oh, I'm going to pull from those and create <laughs> strategies. And when they're not working, punishment will, will occur. Like yes. I do see that happen. Yes. And then with the trauma-informed approach, there's almost another myth, I think, and this is where it's actually applied wrong and people do see it this way and apply it this way, is that there's no consequences and very little boundaries. Yes. Um, and I would challenge that deeply in the work that I do. And I always talk to people about this is, yes, we need to create safety for these young people. Mm. And yes, we need to negotiate with them. Yes. We need to give them a chance to have their needs met. Yes. But once all of those things have happened, we need to believe in their future and we need to support them to learn to actually improve from yesterday. So I believe you can actually do better than what we've seen before. And I'm going to support you to, to do better. I would agree because I think the... the, the um, corruption of both pla of both approaches is that behaviour approach is about punishment, yeah. and the trauma informed is about like, young people 
can do whatever they like. Yeah, yeah. And look, we see that happen. And I, yeah. I, I've definitely seen practitioners do this. Yes. And I sometimes I think it's out of discomfort and potentially fear. Because yes. if you're working with young people who have experienced trauma, you will see some dysregulated behaviour. Yes. You will lay out the, the expectations. Mm. They will test those. They will go, are they telling the truth? Mm. I'm going to test that today. I'm going to test that tomorrow. Mm. I'm going to see where her boundaries are. Mm. Um, and if you don't actually uphold those boundaries because it's uncomfortable and you drop them, that young person is going to walk all over you and you're actually just, you're not meeting their needs. You're not making them feel safe. Yes. But you may have just made yourself feel a little bit more comfortable for that day because mm. it felt really uncomfortable to uphold the boundaries. Yes. Yeah, but whereas if you just do it over a period of time, you've set the expectations and then you can actually work together to yeah. improve. But I think that's an interesting phrase, set the expectations, because yep. again, that's what the behaviourists are saying that must happen in the sense there must be clear expectations about behaviour, mm. yeah, um, and it's how you set them and it's how you manage that when those expectations are not met. Yeah. So it, 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 I, I'm going to give you an example to perhaps illustrate to listeners. So there is a, uh, a psychologist, I think, no, a teach, uh, an educational specialist called Bill Rogers. I, yeah. I guess you may have heard of him. I have heard of him. I've even sat in one of his talks in uh, 2022. Yeah. yeah. So Bill Rogers sits, in my view, very much on the behavioural side of that equation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah. yeah. And he gives a really good, interesting example in the sense that so he says that, okay, he's, he's teaching a class and, he, and it's new to the class. He doesn't know the pupils. Yeah. And there's a pupil who's not doing any work. Mm -hmm. It hasn't started. All right. I feel like he used the same example when I saw him talk. Yeah. <laughs> but it illustrates the approach yeah. in the sense that a traditional teacher might go up to that pupil and say, why haven't you started work? Yeah. All right. Now, you could argue then if that child comes from a traumatic background, mm -hmm. that that yelling will trigger the trauma, yep. okay? And he will become dysregulated and potentially um, uh, become hypervigilant or, 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 uh, or he might dissociate, mm -hmm. right? Yep. So then what he says is, okay, you, you go to the pupil and sort of say, I've noticed that you're struggling to pay attention. Mm -hmm. Can I be of help? Yeah. Okay, so it's a different approach. It's, it's in the behavioral set, okay, but it's not necessarily um, triggering the young person. Not at all. And I mean, a lot of trauma-informed practitioners would take the exact same approach. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So this is an interesting conversation, yeah. starting to see a lot of the intersect and the... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why can't these two parties agree then is what I'm curious about. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> why can't the Americans, you know, the Republicans and the Democrats come together or the culture wars? It, it's very difficult because it is effectively a culture war, I think. Yeah, it is a bit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it is, I think, the misapplication um, that's gone on that has yes. actually divided the camps even further over time. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And definitely. I, I think social media plays a role in that Yeah. because I, I do look at things in on Instagram and uh, LinkedIn and... I think, oh, it's not really right what you're saying, but mm. it sounds good anyway. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. Yeah. Um, something I've noticed that's a, a challenge as well. Well, actually, I wanted to ask, um, just backtrack a little bit. We're talking about setting expectations. Mm. Would the behaviourist view include the young people in setting those expectations? So when I said let's set the expectations, I would absolutely get the student voice in that. And I'd say, how do we want to work together? What do we agree upon for our group right now and for the time that we're working together? Yeah, look, I, I must say, I, I don't actually know the answer to that question yeah. in, in the sense that 
in years because the idea of consulting the consumer or the user of the service yep. is relatively new. Mm, okay? It is, yeah. Yeah. So in, in the traditional textbooks, probably no. All right. Well, and this is the thing. Trauma-informed practice is newer and younger. Yes. Yeah. So that's probably why it stands out more as, as part of the practice. That's true. Yeah. Um, but it, it, I don't see... I mean, the question here, okay, is that we will consult with young people about appropriate behaviours, but implied in that is that we have limits. You know, yeah, in the sense, absolutely. it's yeah. it's not okay. Like, um, I was um, uh, talking to a teacher the other day, and teaching year eight, and apparently been watching a lot of porn. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so these year eight boys were doing simulated sex of of, se- uh, of uh, porn acts. Yeah. All right. Now. We're not going to allow that, are we? Yeah, of course not. Yeah. So in the sense that, to some extent, we will remain the adults in the room. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But within that conf- within those confines, yeah. Yeah. That th- there is agreement negotiation. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 And you and I both worked in a school where that happened every day. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like if you consulted with those young people prior to that happening, they would yeah. agree that that's not appropriate behaviour. They would. And probably when they're in a calmer state after those behaviours have occurred, they would also agree with you yes. then as well. They probably had a bit of fun getting the teacher's reaction at the time. Yes. And I, I think that's there in the other part of the the behaviourist equation is behaviours... Um, determined shaped by its consequences mm-hmm. okay so sometimes behavior what young people want is the attention of their peers yeah 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 for sure yeah, yeah. and we know that that's a huge motivator yeah. and that's what's so complex about school settings in general is we're sending hundreds sometimes thousands of young people to the one space yes knowing that at that point in time their brain development even is just socially peer drawn like they want to associate with their peers more than anything yes at that age development and we're asking them all to sit in silence in a room together. <laughs> yes, but again, see, the behaviourist would, would say in the sense that, you know, it depends on what you mean by brain development here, but the behaviourist argument would be they um, haven't learnt that at home, okay, and mm-hmm. therefore it's not surprising when they come to school they can't do it, mm-hmm. all right? So in the sense, the trauma, then the trauma people would say, well, they haven't learnt it uh, because trauma is interfering with their learning, all right? So you, you keep falling back to this notion about, whether it's the fact that they haven't learnt the behaviour or they've been so traumatised they haven't been able to learn the behaviour. Yeah, yeah. But either way, no matter which way you look at it, if we want to teach behaviour, we're going to... Resu- like, we'll, if we teach behaviour, teach ways to self-regulate and understand what's going on mm. in how we feel when we're in those spaces, so how, we're going to see the same outcomes. Yeah, it, yeah. it, it is, yeah. So yeah. from the trauma-informed approach, yeah. how do you teach behaviours? Yeah, so it's an interesting one. I was thinking about that a lot too. Um, I guess there's certain things you've got to really think about before mm. you're thinking about that. But it's really around, are the young people feeling safe, mm-hmm. first and foremost? And it's not even about whether I've decided that, that it's safe. It's, are they feeling it? Are they perceiving that this is a safe environment? Mm. Once we've ticked that off, then yes, we can actually start teaching behaviour and working together. Mm. Um, but the thing that I would always do is teaching them about their own regulation. Mm. So letting them understand their own nervous system, letting them tell me what their needs are yeah. and what it feels like when those needs aren't being met and making plans around that so that we can actually then work on staying in the classroom, sitting down, engaging in the learning, getting okay. those things right first. Um, yeah, and, and setting those agreements together. So making sure there's there's ways to negotiate. So if I come into the room and I'm not feeling great, I've had a rough night, I haven't eaten, mm. here's what I can do in those times. So okay. allowing there be to be opportunities for negotiation. Okay, yeah. so does that anticipate that teachers would run an almost psychoeducational uh, curriculum about 
safety, about brains, about flight response, etc. Absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. And so, so that- and I mean. A lot of teachers might listen to this and go, I don't have time for that. Yep. But if they look at their social and emotional um, capacity that they need to teach, if they look at wellbeing programs, this stuff will be offered in that. There is a requirement to teach wellbeing and to teach social and emotional skills yes. in the curriculum, no matter what age level you're working with. Yeah. Um, so this is a great starting point. Because even for all of us, this is the thing about the trauma-informed practice as well. I wouldn't sit in front of a room and go... Um, and I was working with young people, most had had experienced trauma. Yes. I wouldn't say this is because you've had trauma, we're learning about this. No, of course not. Even as an adult, like it's been such a valuable thing to learn about yeah. my own regulation, my own stress responses, yes. uh, my own strategies, and yeah, and just model that to them and say mm. this is part of being a human being. Mm. Um, and for some of us, when we're in stressful situations, we're going to feel this a lot more yeah. than when we're not in stressful situations. So, in, so and that's an interesting way of looking at another contrast between the trauma-informed side and the behavioralist side yep. so it is a, a, a key part of the trauma-informed one you know the very street model of education yep. teaches explicitly that notion of the stress response absolutely yeah yeah yep. now the behaviorists come at it at a different way mm-hmm. okay so in the in the sense what they're saying um is that if you look at those pillars positive reinforcement ignoring yeah um uh, uh, distraction and model and prompt yeah so model and prompt become a really important part of it yep. all right and so the example here is and i think this either comes from bill rogers so you might recognize it mm-hmm. but the the other i don't can't, uh, the other person is is tom bennett okay it's yep. either one of those but they're both good um, examples of what i would call the behavioral side of this equation mm-hmm. so in the sense you 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 have a number of students who are calling out calling out okay and the teacher looks at them and sort of says Hands up, please. Mm-hmm. All right. So you've prompted the required behavior. Yeah. All right. He or she then looks away and pays attention to other students who are not calling out. Yeah. All right. So what he or she, the teacher has done, therefore, is that the, the two young people who are calling out are likely to express uh, annoyance or contempt with the requirement. All yep. right eye-rolling, muttering, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But he's not going to notice that because he's paying attention over here. Yeah. All right, so he's now ignored that behavior. When they put up the hand, then he says, thanks for waiting. What what, what, uh, what have you got to contribute? This is so the, Rogers, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. this is the, the positive reinforcement side of things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So in the sense, the approaches are, are quite different, though the aim is the same. The aim is to teach what is appropriate behaviour. Oh, absolutely. And look, those strategies like would absolutely apply in a trauma-informed classroom as well. Yeah. But the question would be, uh, is putting up your hand an expectation that the group agreed on? If yes. it is, well, then yes, let's absolutely model it. Let's redirect. Let's praise when it happens. Yeah. So, um, but if it wasn't an agreement, then we'd have to revisit that and go, all right, that's, that felt a bit messy today. What should we do next time we're having a class discussion and so, get their voices in that again? Yeah. So I think your comments just illustrate perhaps another difference between the two, and that's a philosophical approach. Yeah. 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 So trauma-informed, virtue of what you said, is likely is considered to be more democratic. Well, I mean, if you look at the trauma-informed principles for yep. practice, so there's six of them, mm. um, the second or third one is actually about empowerment and choice. Mm. Um, and it absolutely needs to be embedded all the way through. Yes. Um, because the, the, what you were sort of giving an example of was the teacher having the authority in the yep. classroom. Yes. Uh, whereas when you're working in a trauma-informed way, you absolutely want to be sharing that where possible um, and empowering them to have choice and to also have their voices in the room and have, have so their decisions around how things are going. 
But I, th- I guess the, the point I'm, I'm making here, Megan, is that this is an important difference between the trauma-informed and the yeah. behaviourists. Yeah. So Tom Bennett's book is called Running the Room. Mm. Okay, so it's not... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, here we go. Yeah, so Maybe I should invite him onto the podcast and have a debate. <laughs> yeah, so, so in the sense that... And there are, if there are, in fact, perhaps deeper philosophical differences between the, between the two. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it, on, I'm interested in your approach in the sense, uh, or thoughts on this. So the trauma-informed one is very much student-focused in mm-hmm. the sense that if the student basically uh, feels safe and is, uh, has the resources, they will elect to learn. Mm-hmm. So it's almost similar to the Montessori approach to education. There's a piece slightly missing just from there, yeah. which I'll add in. Please, but I yeah. just think, because um, often we'll hear from um, teachers about disruptive behaviour. Yeah. And then if I dive in and have a look at what was happening, it's sort of like, well, we need to make sure the work is tailored for them. So tailored at their level, understanding that trauma has disrupted their learning, has had impacts on the brain. So it needs to be at their level or they're going to feel stressed and can't access it. And it also has to be interesting. So we are going to see kids that are bored disrupting. So, so that layer needs, and that would be true for, for no matter which approach we're looking at. I'm not so sure about that. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so again, you know, in the sense, the philosophy underpinning, I mean, the, the philosophy underpinning the trauma-informed approach is that more democratic choice, all mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The philosophy underpinning Tom Bennett's uh, uh, approach is more in the sense there are some things that you simply have to learn, Okay. And um, once you've made, once you've learnt them, you can make a decision about whether you like it or not. And he gives the example of trigonometry and algebra. And he also, he, he, what's he meant to just sit there and uh, be quiet while you're really not enjoying yourself? But you see, there's this. <laughs> but you see, I know you see it. This is humorous. Yeah, I know. But in the sense, if you look at the two different approaches, which is what we're trying to do here. Yeah. The underpinning of of trauma informed education. Okay is that in order to be motivated, all students have to be enjoying all parts of the, of the lesson. Now, I wouldn't say all parts, but no, yeah. But you can see the difference. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 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 And it, it, it plays out um, in Montessori education very, very strongly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so I, like, I acknowledge we need to be uncomfortable to learn. And we need to, yeah, that's where growth happens. And if we look at, you know, the way we learn, we actually learn when we're in uncomfortable moments, not if we stay in our comfort zone yeah. and just do the things we like all the time. Yeah. Um, but but, yeah. In, it, it, but the, if we, if we like, like if we, if we look at young people who have experienced trauma, it's very likely they're, they're years below their, their peers in true. the classroom. Yeah. Um, and that is very stressful. So mm-hmm. if we, if we do all the other things to make them feel safe, make them feel comfortable, and then we hand them something that is five years beyond their, their actual level at the time, Everything we just did beforehand has gone out the window. They're all they're going to feel unsafe again. Uh, obviously, I, I agree with that. Okay, yeah. but I think at the level of principle or the level of philosophy, okay, in the sense, on the behavioural side, regardless of where the, the the young person is at in terms of their academic levels, they are more comfortable in sort of saying, "You're perhaps going to have to do things you're not." we're going to ask you to do things that you may not be that interested in. Mm -hmm. Whereas on the trauma-informed side, that seems to be less less the case. Less, but still. still, I know. Just a little bit there. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So trauma-informed is more, in my view, more models the Montessori approach Mm -hmm. to education. But then it leaves open the criticism, which you've already sort of implied, is in the sense the modern education system is 
too controlling, too discipline orientated, yeah. um, cookie cutter, you know, brick in the wall type sort of approach. Well, I mean, it hasn't evolved much. Like, if we look at the way the world has evolved and even the way people work now, mm. is our education system. And I know this is, you said not to go too philosophical in this conversation, um, but is it is it preparing them for what's next? Yeah, look, I, I, I believe that we can't resolve the philosophical debate. Yeah, of course. But I think it's important to listeners to sort of understand that there are two philosophies that are mm, at times quite different that underpin the behavioural approach uh, versus the trauma-informed one. Yeah, and look, and I will acknowledge, and I will will definitely allow for this criticism here, is that when trauma-informed approaches aren't done well, Mm. what we see is low expectations for young people, Mm. and then we see low academic outcomes, and we've actually actually done them a huge disservice. Yes. um, Which is, yeah, when it's done poorly, that's what we can actually see happening. Yeah. Yeah. But, Megan, I would add to that in the sense that you know, we've both worked with trauma, uh, uh, young people who've been traumatised in schools. Yeah. And those people know that they're not getting the real education. Mm. What they're getting is something cut down, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we both uh, have a colleague who famously once said, and I think it's a great quote, to say, I'm running a school here, not a drop-in centre or yeah, a youth service. absolutely. Yeah. And it's where those things get blurred. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, and that's the thing too, when I'm saying um, when it's done poorly, this is what we see. Yeah. I've seen some brilliant people that are really well-intentioned mm. who are even at high-level roles mm. in, the, in the field um, holding low expectations yeah. of these young people. And I've had to, when I've worked alongside them mm. or even under them, yeah. I've actually had to challenge that and say, no, I know these young people can actually do more than what you just celebrated. Yes. Yeah. Like you just celebrated them for walking in the door. Come on. Yeah. yeah. But so it may be another way of thinking about this to illustrate the differences in the two approaches is to look at other areas or other domains. So we've been talking in the main about schools. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You can also see the same debate played out in parenting approaches. Yeah. So there's a parenting approach called gentle parenting mm-hmm. or tuning into kids, the Melbourne University program. Yeah. Yeah. I've looked okay. into that a little bit, actually. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. they're both very, very much trauma informed. Yeah. Yeah. On the other side, you have Triple P. Yeah. Okay, Triple P, very much in the behavioural uh, set, mm-hmm. okay, and on social media, they hate each other, all right? <laughs> now, the, yeah. other, the other domain, which is interesting, and again, you will know about this, is in residential childcare. Yeah, yeah. So therapeutic residential childcare. Mm-hmm. So in the sense, in that area, you have the trauma-informed specialist, which is Sandra Bloom and Bruce Perry. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but then on the other side of that, you have the what is called the teaching parent model. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm. which has emerged post the trauma model. Okay, mm-hmm. and it's behavioural. Mm. Okay. Yeah, you've mentioned this before that it's yeah. moved to a more behavioural approach. Yeah, mm. uh, though, you know, in in some ways, the word behavioural is a bit like uh, uh, Kentucky Fried. I mean, in the <laughs> sense, we want to f- find another word like uh, KFC or positive behaviour or something like that. But leaving those things aside. So in the sense, the, 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 the people who ad- advocate for the teaching parent model, what they say on their website is really interesting. They say that we are trauma-informed, but we put wheels on it. Mm. So the idea has been, and I'm interested in your reaction to this, is in the sense that the trauma-informed approach is very um, theoretical in the sense the neuroscience, the attachment science is all great. Mm-hmm. But some criticism, I think, is that what does a childcare worker, a residential worker, or a teacher do? What What are the skills that are there mm. that, that can help them? Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. so this is um, much more prescribed, would you say? So it, it comes with 
like a much more, you could pick it up and here are all the strategies ready to go and here's the outcomes you should expect. Yeah, no, I, I think the difference is it, 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 it explicitly teaches workers, whether they're residential care workers or teachers, yeah. how to manage specific situations. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. gotcha. So yeah. like the, the Bill Rogers example that I gave you, in yeah. a sense, there are a limited number of those interactions that can take place and you can learn an approach to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas a lot of the trauma-informed approach, I guess when you're looking at strategies, you're really looking at pointy end behaviours. Yeah. Um, that's that. You get a lot of training and a lot of work around that. There's mm. a lot of there's a lot you can access around the dysregulation and how to co-regulate, mm. how to de-escalate. So, what would you see as being the core skills? You know that a teacher should learn or a residential care worker should learn in in managing difficult behaviour. Yeah. So the actual like dysregulation and challenging end yeah. of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a really interesting one. I guess what like I always look at. Um, like co-regulation is a real key, but to do co-regulation well, yeah. you need to really understand yourself yeah. um, and whether you're regulated too. So yeah. before you approach any of that. So step one is really, am I regulated? What do I need to be regulated in those moments? Checking in with yourself. Am I speaking at a, at a good tone? Am mm. I feeling stressed? Am I pacing? Or mm. am I still pretty steady and calm? Yeah. If I'm steady and calm, well then great. I can go in and I can enter co-regulation and de-escalation with this young person. Um, so it's around knowing how to keep yourself safe and how to keep the young person safe in those moments as yeah. well. So calm voice, keeping the correct distance, mm. um, not focusing on solving it in that particular time because mm. we know if someone's dysregulated, their brain is absolutely not in the reasoning yes. um, section. We're, we're trying to regulate them, which is a bottom-up strategy. Mm. We're trying to actually regulate their nervous system mm. um, before we actually reason with them. Mm. So dropping all reason <laughs> yeah. um, and all trying to problem solve with them and really just trying to regulate them. Yeah. Get them to do a strategy if you, if you can, if, you, if they're still in that, that point where you can access that. If they're not, just keeping them safe. Yeah. Just saying statements, you know, that are, are going to be really short and sharp and just over and over, just say it and walk away with them, get them to walk next to you, remove yeah. everyone else from the situation. You see, I think that's a good example, I think, in terms of... I mean, there's a difference between preventing dysregulated behaviour and managing it in the moment. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so one of, the, one of the things on the behavioural side, okay, is this notion of de-escalation, okay? So yep. de-escalation is a very specific skill, mm -hmm. okay, in, in the sense that the first thing is that you stand 1.5 metres away from the young person. Yep. So they can't hit you, basically, or you yeah. get time to duck. Yeah. Okay, next step, okay, is then to sort of tell, express to them that you know they're upset, yeah, okay, I can yeah. see you're really pissed by this. Yeah. Right, right. Now, the argument here is that you avoid things that are going to make it worse. Yeah, of course. Right. Okay, yeah. and you're exactly right. You know, yeah. from someone who's my size and my booming voice, you know, I've got to be very careful. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. Okay, so in the sense that you don't want to give them uh, the, um, the impression that you don't care about them. Yeah, okay? or that you're angry with them. Or... You're angry uh, with them or, or, or whatever. Yeah. And the only way to be able to do that is, as you say, I have to be regulated, okay? Yeah. The next step down from that is you, you, you chase the feeling. Mm. I can mm -hmm. see you're unhappy about this because, yeah. as you say... The front, the, uh, the prefrontal co cortex is disconnected. It is, yeah. We cannot have a rational discussion at this. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't, so I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure trauma-informed brought the, this to the table. It was no, well it known before. No, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's been adopted. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's, yeah, it's yeah. a practice that's had to be 
embedded and I guess um, what what's happened and even when I'm re- referring to bottom up mm. I think Bruce Perry's brought a lot of that to light in the trauma-informed sort of research and looking at what the brain's actually doing in that time so when he refers to like bottom up or top down strategies yeah. top down strategies would be um, the things that we plan for with young people so when they actually do have their prefrontal cortex mm. um, firing they're calm they're in a good state we can talk to them about strategies they want to use we can teach mm. them about their regulation and then they can choose self-regulation strategies when they're in in yeah. that, that function of the brain. Mm. Uh, whereas when we're looking at bottom up, as you said, yeah, prefrontal cortex has gone offline, which is, means we can't reason with them. We're not going to have those no. conversations. Relationships even a bit tricky in that time. They are. They're not going to look at you and go, oh, I actually have a really good bond with my teacher. I'm going to be mm. calm because I just saw them. That's not where we're at. <laughs> we're looking literally at the brainstem um, and the yes. amygdala, and that's what's firing, and that's, that's what's telling them something's unsafe, mm. and all we've got to do is really regulate them. Yeah, I mean, it's... I think you're right. I, I agree with that. Um, it's just that I, I think the, the the skill here is specific skill around de-escalation about how to bring them down. All mm, right? mm-hmm. But equally over the your interactions with a young person or any any person over a period of time, safety comes. They'll feel safe when they can predict with absolute certainty yeah. how you're going to behave. Yeah. I'm making the assumption you're going to behave reasonably. All right. Absolutely. And consistently. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, oh, you didn't yell at me when I was just like just laughing and being silly in class. And you also didn't yell at me when I was dysregulated and maybe smashing a window. Yes. Yeah. It, it, it's that notion in the sense, you know, no matter what I, how I behave or what I do or what I say, I know this person, I use the term contain, mm-hmm. they can contain it. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. And that's really important. Yeah. Now, it's not easy to do though. Uh, yes, I mean, I mean, for early career people, that is that it takes practice, and yeah. that's what I think is important to note. Some people intuitively get it, and you see those practitioners come yes. in, and they just intuitively get that. Yeah. Um, but I just think for people to hear it, it takes practice, and it takes. We talked about it in episode three, but mentorship as well. It does. Yeah. You, you need to get feedback because you're not yep. necessarily aware that you're dysregulated. Yeah, that's you're, right. You're, you're feeling, I'm perfectly calm. Yeah, because your reason's shut down too. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> your prefrontal cortex isn't firing either. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's an interesting one, but it's that issue of being able that the young person can predict with absolute certainty how you're going to behave. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, then we start to see less triggers happening and less, yes. yeah, less of those moments occurring. Yeah. So can I ask you then, you know, in the sense that I, when I'm working with people, I don't like the term re-traumatize, mm. okay? Mm-hmm. All right, so in the sense, if you're working with teachers, you know, I don't believe in the main the teachers are going to assault students and, and therefore traumatize them or sexually assault them in the yeah, main. Yeah, exactly, yep. So I prefer the term trigger. Yeah, I prefer the term trigger too. I yeah. use trigger a lot. And even I'm, I sometimes even adjust it even more and I might just say... Um, Frustrations. Yes. So what frustrates you? Because yes. sometimes people think the word trigger is actually about trauma trigger, like yes. a, a content warning, a trigger warning. We're about to show you yeah. um, some violence on a, on a screen. Um, so I'm careful around even using the word trigger. I use it a lot, yes. but I actually have noticed in some groups, I've actually even used, well, what's going to frustrate you? You yes. know, when you feel that real frustration, yes. what is it? Tell me about it. Yeah. And so that's an interesting one. So going back to the, the behavioral side, so the behaviorist will always come back to what they call a functional analysis, which is trying to find an explanation of why the behavior occurs. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, they use this process called ABC. A is antecedents, which potentially is triggers. Yeah. B is the behavior and C is the consequences. Yeah. So it is it is an interesting one, you mm-hmm. know, um, mm-hmm. about uh, how do you know what's going on for this young person? And I, I, at some level, in the sense, if you don't know the young person, 
you, uh, well, you don't really need to know why they're doing it mm. because there's a standard approach to, to, yeah, to managing just, that situation. That's right. Apply exactly what we just spoke about, no yes. matter whether you have a relationship or not. Yes. Like a lot of the time in my last school role, mm. I was managing a program with 140 young people mm. and I would get a call if someone was dysregulated mm. to go and support staff with that. I didn't have close relationships with all 140. I couldn't have. Um, but if I applied what I knew in terms of, mm. of practice for de-escalation and... Yes. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, it works. I've never been assaulted. Like yeah. 13 years in the field, never assaulted. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes. I won't tell you how many years I've been in the field and not been assaulted. <laughs> but I can quadruple those, all right? Yeah. But yeah, so I, I think that, that, that that's true. But it, it then leads to the next issue, okay, is about how important is relationships in working with young people who are traumatised. Well, absolutely. And to prevent those moments from occurring. So we yeah. just talked about what to do when someone is absolutely mm. dysregulated and we're seeing really mm. challenging behaviour. But the stronger relationship and the consistent relationship, as we're talking about, and the, the safety we, we can provide them mm. over time, that consistency, mm. we're going to see less of that dysregulation over time. Yes. Um, so relationships is everything. It's the starting point. If you look at any of Bruce Perry's work, he will say it is the number one thing to heal trauma. Um, yeah, so absolutely it is key in yeah. all of trauma-informed But it is, it is an interesting thing, Megan, because you, by what you just said before, you can go out and work with a young person who you barely know yeah. and they're dysregulated. But so, I'm not going to heal. I'm not going to be providing them a healing opportunity. I'm not going to be yeah. in a therapeutic relationship with them. I might just be able to create safety for them in a really hard moment. Yeah. But if we want to see like a therapeutic relationship play out yes. and we want to see learning occur, mm. then we're going to need a long-term relationship. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to you know talk about what constitutes a uh, an effective relationship, mm. um, and one of them, as we've already mentioned, is the ability to predict what's going on. You know, yeah. what, the young person can predict how you're going to behave. But something I will challenge on that actually, and this was something I remember a young person saying, which was really cool. Mm. But um, if we get a, a whole system working together, or or a whole service <laughs> working together in a really consistent way, so when schools are at their best and they're applying the same approach consistently. Um, of course, there's going to be differs, like there's people that are more confident, less confident. But when we're staffed well enough, we've got leaders supporting those that are less confident, young people start to read that environment. Yes. And they go, actually, you're all pretty consistent. I know if I go do that, you're probably going to come up and say this to me, regardless of whether you're my teacher, my leader, mm. uh, my youth worker, whatever. They start to predict all the adults in the space. Because all the adults behave the same way yeah because they're working the same way and they're, they're, they're using the same approaches and they're going to use the same language with young people yeah, yeah. um so there was a, a student who actually enrolled um at the last school i was working at yeah um and it was his day one or day two or something and it wasn't his teacher working with him we had a uh, one of the other teachers just sitting in the library working with him mm. on something and he actually said to her um all your all you teachers here are so calm mm. and you, you've all been so nice to me and yeah, like he just kind of noticed the, yeah. the energy, the energy mm. of the teachers was actually just consistent. He'd met a few teachers, wasn't yes. his classroom teacher, and he, he said it on day one or day two. Mm. Yeah, you've all been really calm. Yeah. Yeah, which is... Interesting know. and good. Yeah. But I guess the dilemma the sector's facing is there's a fairly high turnover there of is. teachers. Yeah, and something that I've actually had to do last year in 2023 was mm. um, run some training for CRTs on trauma-informed yes. practice. So I had to think about how do you develop that in micro moments yes. or in a relationship you have for one day or 45 minutes. Yes. 
and what to do just yeah just in those moments to create it yeah yeah so it is an interesting one about in i mean i guess you're talking about in the sense in the ideal world the sort of educational nirvana where all the staff are on the same page mm. but the turnover makes that fairly difficult at it the does moment. yeah but if it happened at university level all pre-service teachers could have training Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I guess what we're looking at right now with this Senate inquiry is, well, where do they want to head? You yeah. know, and, and what are they going to see as important and what are they going to see as improving schools, improving teacher well-being um, I, I, and getting the outcomes that they want? I, as I mentioned at the start of our discussion, yeah. I believe the Senate uh, inquiry is code for Tom Bennett. Mm. I do. Mm. You, you just look at it and sort of say, I can see Tom Bennett's imprimatur all over this. Yeah. But can I take you back, okay, to the relationships, okay? Mm-hmm. So in the sense, there is predictability. But on the behavioural side, what they're sort of saying is that relationships are good, but you need to be able to demonstrate that what use their term, run the room. You can organise things. Yeah. Now, that links back to your idea of safety in the sense that if the teacher can manage the group, then everyone feels safe. So there's no young person being bullied, you know, the simulated yeah. sex scenes and things like that. Yeah. And then the relationships develop that way. And in the sense, so what they say is it only makes sense, okay, to have a relationship with a young person if, in the sense, you've managed to control the classroom so that people are not being bullied in the classroom. Mm. So there are different perspectives on this. There are. There yeah. are. I feel like a balance in the middle somewhere would be nice. <laughs> yeah, it, it's going to be very difficult to, to get to that. Yeah. yeah. Well, it kind of leads into one other thing I really wanted to talk about because I feel like we've overlooked it. Yeah. Um, is people might be listening and going, oh, my gosh, she just talked about a kid maybe smashing a window mm. and all she did was, um, you know, keep him, keep him safe and mm. check how they're feeling, see if you're right. Mm. Um, you know, they're going to go, oh, there's no consequences there. And I don't want to use the word consequence, but I want to talk about, <laughs> just for those listening, Graham just like raised his eyes, <laughs> eyebrows at me. Um, but I want to talk more about repair. Like, So how do we repair after a moment like that as well? Um, so I know for me and the, the practice I do, like repair is hugely important and we, we have to practice it a lot because young people who experience trauma are going to have difficult moments and challenging days. And we're going to need to model for them how we repair relationships afterwards um, and how we safely return after a situation like that. Mm-hmm. So we do a lot of collaborative problem solving or restorative practices in that work. Yeah. So I'm curious, because I know when I look at mainstream schools, um, obviously they are still using things like suspensions. We yes. do know that there are expulsions. Yes. Um, what What would the behaviourists say around around this? Okay, so the, the, the behaviourists fall back on the ABC analysis, mm-hmm. which is the functional analysis, antecedents, behaviour and consequence. Yeah. So the objective is for the young person to understand what the antecedents were. Yeah, well, okay. it's exactly the same with trauma-informed practice. Yeah, it is. So we talk about the needs. It's like which needs weren't being met, and how could have we met them before we got to the heat of those moments? Yes, yeah. slightly different language, yeah, but yes, yeah. You're, it's true. It's, it's, it's what happened before. Yeah. Okay, and therefore um, the, the next question is, well, is there another way of managing that situation? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it plays out classically, you know, with young people who bring knives to school. Mm-hmm. Now, invariably, they bring for protection. They feel yeah, they unsafe. Yeah, they don't feel safe. Yeah, yeah. okay. So then the question becomes, well, all right, in the sense, what else can we do, okay, when you feel unsafe? Yeah. And, you know, traditionally it's sort of, I'll go and talk to this teacher or, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But the idea here is to uh, focus in on the antecedents and then sort of say, well, okay, um, let's, let's see what else we can do. Because we're not, you know, it's pointless to say, oh, you're perfectly safe. Mm. 
In fact, the child probably is perfectly safe. But, but that's it makes what no... we were talking about before. Is yeah. what, are they, do they perceive that they're safe, though? Yeah, and do they feel that they're safe? We can't tell them that. Right. And it makes yeah. no difference because yeah. perception is reality that's at this right. stage that's because right. they're dysregulated. Yeah. And when they're dysregulated, their thought passes are, dis, are distorted, if yeah. not paranoid. So, yeah, so it's that notion of uh, finding alternatives. You mm. know, when you feel this way, when this happens, okay, what's another way you can behave? But see, the behaviourists then come in on that and sort of say, well, as soon as they behave differently, okay, you massively reinforce that. Mm. So with the knife, if the young person comes to the teacher and sort of says, I'm feeling really threatened by student A, all right, what can I do? Then you massively reinforce the behaviour. Thanks for coming and talking to me about that. This is what we can do. Yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting. Yep. Yeah. yeah, very similar crossover. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They're not as Just diff- the language is different. Yeah, the it's language the language. We'll different. talk about needs, which needs weren't being met. We'll talk about the regulation strategies. Do we need to review them? Mm. Do you want to change them? Mm. Um, yeah, being clear on... Yeah, like when we talk about strategies, I'd probably be using words like regulation strategies. Um, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's true. Whereas in the behavioural approach is that, you know, when when you feel you need to have a knife, uh, carry a knife, yep. you know, um, you're feeling scared, all right? And how do you know you're feeling scared? And or which is similar in the trauma-informed side, yeah. And therefore, but we don't want people to act on the the feelings of feeling of scared by you know coming to school with a box cover. Absolutely, color. yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Mm, interesting. It is. <laughs> yeah, very rich conversation. I've learned a lot from um, just like, hearing your your angle on this. Well, not even your angle, but just like the, the what you've dived into to bring to this conversation. I hope I've, I've portrayed the behavioural side. Well, you know, or legitimately. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So I guess my question as we're like coming to a bit of a close would be what do you think is the, like what is a good pathway from here? Um, I know like if we put the Senate inquiry aside and just think, you know, obviously that'll take its own direction. But what would you think is a, is a good sort of answer or approach that a school could take, teachers could take? Look, I mean, I think the Senate inquiry is pretty clear on its direction. Mm. Okay. And I don't think there's any turning that turning back on that one. So the... The argument they're running, and I don't know whether it's true or not, is in the sense that they believe that disruptive behaviour is costing about one day a week, or it could be a fortnight, in terms of time that could be learned on, on, on learning. Yeah. Okay. Oh, look, I would probably I would probably support that in some of the work that I've done with schools in the yeah. last year. Yeah. Yeah, it's like that's I'm seeing it and I'm hearing it. Yeah. yeah. And and so and so then it then the next statistic, and again I don't know whether this is true, but it is quoted in the Senate inquiry is that the behaviour of Australian students is more disruptive than perhaps most other comparable OECD countries. Yeah, so that one's an interesting one. It is, isn't it? I find that one a challenging one. You don't believe it? Oh, I'm just curious about it. I mean, I haven't, I can't speak on what's going on in other places Mm. other than what I read or see, um, but I would be really curious about the metrics for that one. Mm. Well, I have a granddaughter in Singapore and I'm pretty sure that they probably score uh, higher, <laughs> less oh, disruptive yeah, yeah, yeah. Than, than we do. But yeah. so, so in the sense, I think what has to be avoided here is the uh, ideological wars, you know, or the culture wars, which we've, we've talked about today. Mm. And in the sense, I think that occurs because of ignorance on both sides. It does, yeah. Okay, so... And, a, and a, like thinking that you need to be in camps like it's like you have to be one camp or the other camp yes yeah whereas i mean i went and sat in a bill rogers talk and i went mm, I, I use a lot of those one-liners yeah. and those strategies and yeah. yeah like just taking the best of both worlds uh, I, but think... that, I mean that's what you can do as a teacher but it's the schools that need to align it's the school it's the whole school that needs to 
choose their approach, I guess, and be but clear think, on that. Yeah, but I think that's the, the issue. I mean, in the sense there's the individual teacher, okay, um, and in the sense that, you know, you can you can learn both and use them at different stages, I think. Yeah, right that's now. right, yeah. But you need to know both. I, I, yeah, I, for sure. I would think it's very difficult to work with in a school if you don't have some knowledge of the behavioural approaches. Yeah. And, equally, and then, yeah, equally, yeah. yeah, I'd say it's actually detrimental to your students if you don't know anything about trauma. Yes, yeah. I, I would I would agree with that. And so, but then the, the bigger issues then is leadership in schools and how they manage yeah. to roll this out, which, you know, is not going to happen, you know, before the end of this calendar year. No, not at all. Yeah. And it shouldn't really. It needs to be a slow approach, not a quick fix. Yes. We chose the wrong one. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. But I mean, it is interesting. I mean, the I think that you'll probably know this better than me, but the the state government does have a positive behaviour program. It right? does. Yeah, it does. And a lot of schools have that implemented yes. right now. I'm cautious around the language and I don't want to challenge it too much because a lot of the schools I have worked with <laughs> have it and we work with that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would say it reflects much more behaviourism, mm. much more around reinforcement, but I wouldn't even say... Um, yeah, I'd say there's a lot of extrinsic mm. <laughs> motivation and things like that as well. So I would say it's not very trauma-informed. Yeah. And so even on that one, I mean, in the sense, again, one of the great criticisms of the behavioural approaches are the um, extrinsic uh, external rewards. Yeah. You know, uh, star yeah. charts and things yeah, like well, that. Yeah, well, that's the thing. What, what some schools have now is peg charts. So they have the kids' names listed mm. and your peg moves throughout the day so everyone can see whether you're actually behaving at level mm. or whether you've dropped down a bit and whether mm. you're now at a reminder. And the kids will tell you. They go, he needs a reminder now. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 um, I know we're running out of time, but on star charts, it's an interesting mm. uh, one interesting story to finish with, which I think I have three children and there's only four years between the two of them. And when they were young, we were having a lot of behaviour problems. And my partner says, well, you're a psychologist. What should we do? <laughs> and I said, so I'll put on a star chart. And what she did is she put them on a star chart. No, she put herself on a star chart. So every time she yelled at them, she, gave a, she did not yell at them. She gave herself a star. Yep. When she got five stars, she said, Graham, I'm going out tonight. You look after the kids. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. <laughs> That's a good one. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. Well, I always say practice what you preach. So model it first and then yeah. decide whether you want to apply it to the young people. <laughs> yeah. But you know, we both stopped yelling at them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. Well, it worked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Graham, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I really appreciate you taking the time to come back in and jump on the podcast again. And got a feeling it won't be the last time we'll probably find something else to talk about thank you i've enjoyed it it's a very interesting discussion it is and i, I hope that your podcast gets a lot of comments because you know we can elaborate those online with people who want further clarification yeah absolutely i think we might encourage that for this episode yeah. we'd love to open up a discussion and a conversation mm. around this one so feel free to yeah leave your thoughts and mm. yeah let us know what approach and questions you may have thank you thank you so much cheers Thank you, wonderful listeners, for making it right to the end of the podcast. We appreciate you. If you like what you hear, feel free to subscribe, give us a rating. We'll be dropping a new episode roughly once per fortnight, so you can stay tuned for the next one. Thank you.